Well, he is Greek-American. He's a New Yorker. It's a great American success story. He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. He's got plenty of ideas on how to bring change. Enlist the support of business leaders, elected officials. Katz and Matitas rub shoulders with some of the most powerful people in the world. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now that's John Katz a native New Yorker. Mixing common sense thinking with New York sensibility. He's John Katz owner of 77 WABC. And this is the Cats Roundtable on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Everywhere around the world, they come to America. Every time that flag's unfurled, they come to America. Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katzmatid is here Sunday morning. We have one great show for you today. We have Andrew Wheeler, the former EPA administrator, and electric cars can't work the way that Washington is saying they're going to work. We have Dr. Peter Michalos, how do we live longer? Congresswoman Keegan from Virginia, and she is concerned about our country. Roger Stone talks to President Trump all the time. What's the update? And Mario Economo on which way Europe is going. Steve Cates looking up in the sky. And let's start off with the former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, and he is concerned about our country. With us today is Newt Gingrich, the former Speaker of the House, one smart guy, a historian, loves America. Good morning, Mr. Speaker. How are you today? I'm doing great, and it's a great weekend. Tell me, uh, there's so many problems in the world. Uh, There's a new... uh, China, Russia are starting a new empire uh, to compete with the West. Tell us, where, where the heck are we going? Well, I think that uh, we have to have a wake-up, and that'll be one of the key things to debate in 2024 between those who think it's okay for America to get weaker and weaker and weaker and those who believe that we have to get back to being the leading country and to uh, being capable of, uh, whether it's in our education system or our manufacturing system or in our defense system. Um, and today we have a weak leadership which has the wrong ideas uh, and which seems to be relatively happy to see America decay and decline while our enemies get stronger. It, it's so sad what's going on. We have so many problems. Uh, our borders... Uh, a lot of drugs coming through our borders, people coming through our borders. Um, what do you feel uh, is going on? Why are we having so many problems? It seems like uh, the Saudi Arabians have now uh, aligned themselves with China. They hate President Biden for, for some reason. Brazil has aligned themselves with Saudi Arabia and China. Uh, I mean, it's it's just getting out of control. And what's well, when, a, you have a, when you have a very weak president who doesn't understand that we have real enemies and doesn't understand the requirements of real strength, uh, and the world begins to realize uh, that the United States is very unreliable. That's one of the great costs of the Afghanistan withdrawal, the way it was done, the chaos that was involved. Uh, And then the confusion about uh, Ukraine, where you had the American chief of staff say uh, the Russians would be in Kiev in three days. And, of course, a year later, they're still not in Kiev. But people watch all this, 
and they think, you know, uh, the great America that was competent and powerful and capable uh, doesn't exist. And uh, I better make a due deal because I can no longer rely on the Americans. And that's what's going on. So what is the next step? Do uh, you feel uh, Joe Biden will be renominated again, or you, you feel that it's going to go to somebody else in the Democratic Party? Well, incumbent presidents have enormous power. Uh, Jimmy Carter beat Teddy Kennedy. Gerald Ford beat Ronald Reagan. Uh, it's very tough to take out an incumbent president inside his own party. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, you don't know this far out whether or not Biden will feel healthy enough or what's going on. Um, but I think that, you know, my, my working assumption is that, that whoever runs, whether it's Biden or somebody else, they're going to have to carry the burden of four years of bad government, bad economy, uh, open borders, <clears throat> weakness around the world, rising crime rates, I mean, all the different things that you and I know are going on. And that's all going to be uh, causing them enormous problems. Uh, right now, on the Republican end, it looks like uh, President Trump is in the lead, uh, but uh, there's a lot of questions in the uh, Republican Party uh, whether uh, uh, he could win. Uh, he could win the primary, but can he win uh, the the main election? Well, and that's one of the things that Trump has to, I think, uh, convince people of. I think right now he's clearly the front runner for the nomination, uh, and they've got to be thinking through. What's the nature of the majority he's going to try to create in general election? Uh, but I think uh, you can't rule out uh, DeSantis. And I think, frankly, that uh, Glenn Youngkin has a very attractive uh, record in Virginia and, and uh, is, is somebody who uh, will probably come under some consideration. And, of course, you just had Tim Scott announce and you've had Nikki Haley announce. And they're going to be, in, you know, I think there may well be 10 or 12 candidates before this is over. Yes, uh, Rona uh, McDaniel uh, has said that they're starting the debates, the Republican debates in in Milwaukee in August. Uh, and uh, I, I guess things could sort themselves out by then. Yeah, I mean, we'll have a better sense of who the candidates are. But I think, you, you know, this is going to be a year when there are a lot of things up in the air and then we'll have to wait and see how it sorts itself out. I'm, I'm not uh, I'm not convinced that we are. Uh, that it's clear yet. Remember, Donald Trump did not even come down the escalator until June of 2015. Now, that's two months from now. Uh, so many things can happen between now and the nomination, and a lot more can happen between now and the general election. Understood. Um, give me, uh, you know, we have about a minute or two left uh, on, on this Sunday morning. What else would you like to tell the American people? Well, I, I think the, the report that New York City is going to be spending $38,000 per child should lead every New Yorker to ask, what are they getting for the money? I mean, that means that a classroom of 20 kids has $760,000, and they're not getting $760,000 worth of education. And the system really has to be overhauled. I mean, if you, if you take the Catholic schools and the Jewish schools and the charter schools and you compare their costs and how effective they are at education. And then you look at what's going on uh, in the New York City schools, you really have to wonder, uh, other than the teachers' union being happy at, at getting that much money out of the taxpayer, you know, what, what, what are the people of New York getting for $38,000 per child? 
it's a big concern because our school kids are falling further behind the world as far as education. And uh, uh, I guess that's going to be one big thing that people have to decide uh, in uh, 2024. That's right. It's, it's uh, a lot. A lot of states have started that process because of the power of the teachers union. New York is behind those states. But I think even in New York, you're going to start seeing people pop up that say, I want, you know, I want the money to follow the child, not the system. And I want, I want results for that kind of money. Well, Mr. Speaker, thank you so much for loving America. Thank you so much for speaking out for America. And thank you for coming on this Sunday morning. And we pray for our country and, and uh, whatever we can do, let's do it uh, and uh, make sure our country survives. I couldn't agree more. Have a great Thank you day. so much. You too. With us today is Andrew Wheeler. He was the 15th administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, uh, under a appointment from President Donald Trump. And uh, so many things are happening in our country. Uh, I'd be interested to know uh, how he feels about it. Um, Mr. Wheeler, uh, what is going on in our country? And I understand uh, that they're trying to get the EPA to attack certain ind industries. Can you fill in the American people? Yes, thank you, John, and thank you for having me on your show today. This is this is a really important issue and a really important time for our country, and I appreciate the opportunity. So the Biden administration just announced this week new regulations for tailpipe emissions from cars. Well, that might seem innocuous and in that you know it's been going on for, for decades now. We've been doing it. The agency's been doing it. This is a transformative in what they're trying to do. They're trying to force everybody into an electric vehicle. Um, and that their goal is, their stated goal is by 2032, you know, less than, less than 10 years away, is for all new, well, two-thirds of all new cars to be electric vehicles and almost half of all trucks. And there's there's just a, a lot of problems. You know, I, I'm for consumer choice. I don't own an electric vehicle, but I think there's some interesting ones out there. There's some interesting companies making electric vehicles. And if people want to buy them, I think that's great. And you should have consumers should have that choice. But it's different having a choice being versus being mandated by the federal government. And they're trying to do a wholesale change in the automotive sector. And I, I just see a number of problems with that. And, and I uh, agree 100%. It should be choice. And I, I don't think our system, our grid system, can take that many uh, electric cars as fast as they want. And w under what I understand is we're making other countries rich because we don't have all the minerals to make the batteries for the electric cars. Absolutely. In fact, let's just level set this for a minute. There, there are four big issues that I see with this, and you just hit on two of the four. Um, and the, the first being we're not producing the raw materials here in the United States to build that many electric vehicles. We are completely reliant on China, and the Biden administration is doing nothing to support the mining of the necessary materials here in the United States. So we are re reliant upon China and, and, and lithium, and China is using, quite frankly, slave labor, children's slave labor in, in Africa and, and in China. 
And it's it's incredible that we would make ourselves dependent upon them for the materials for these cars to this to this degree. I mean, we certainly have some for, for EVs here. I'm not suggesting that all EVs sold today in the United States come from China. Um, there, but in order to have that volume of materials and that volume of cars, we will be completely reliant upon China. The second big problem is we don't have a planned electricity supply for such a transition. For example, it takes approximately three times as much solar energy production to make up for the reliability benefits of natural gas. And that's because solar can only be stored at commercial scale for approximately four hours using today's technology. And it's only generated during the daytime. Most people will be charging their electric vehicles at night. And the Biden administration does not have a plan to replace our baseload generation. You know, the, the third big issue that I see is that EPA, I don't believe, as a former EPA administrator, has the legal authority to do this. Last year, there's a Supreme Court decision, West Virginia versus EPA. And this is where the Obama administration tried to move forward with a complete wholesale change in the electricity supply sector, the electric utility sector. And the Supreme Court told the EPA that large of a, um, of, of a shift in a, an industrial sector, Congress would have to give them explicit authority for that. And EPA does not have, a, did not have authority for the, for the utility sector. They don't have the authority for the automotive sector. Now, EPA is claiming that, oh, this isn't, this isn't going to completely mandate electric vehicles. You can still use the internal combustion engine as long as it gets, I believe, 85% CO2 reductions. And there is no technology, current technology available, and there's no planned technology over the next 10 years that will get us to that level of CO2 reductions from the internal combustion engine. So it is going to have to be made up of electric vehicles in order to meet this new mandate. And then the fourth issue that I see is what matters most to consumers. Electric vehicles, even with the tax subsidies, are priced outside of what most middle and lower income Americans can afford. Millions of Americans will not be able to afford a new car. And when I was at EPA and we put forward our, um, our um, automobile, automotive standards, um, we looked at the impact on the consumer. Um, newer cars are inherently safer than older cars. It's just every generation of, of cars, every year a car is, is safer with the different technologies, the airbags, et cetera. This will force lower income Americans to stick with older cars and not have the safety advantages of the newer cars being made. And not to mention the fact, even if, a, if, even if a car, an older car was state of the art when it came out, they degrade over time. So you're going to have lower income Americans driving around in la less safe cars while upper middle and class this wealthy is, people can buy these electric vehicles. Uh, Andrew uh, Wheeler, this, this is horrible. I mean, how can the, how can the uh, president uh, do that when North America has 100 years worth of oil? It, we, we could be completely independent. We're putting ourselves in the hands of China all over again uh, for those batteries. Absolutely. And, you know, it goes to the, the, the radical environmental community does not like to see Americans driving around in cars. 
They would prefer everybody to be using public transportation, and they, they don't want cars on the roads. They don't want private ownership of cars. So this is furthering that agenda. They're trying uh, to change is, our lifestyle. They are, absolutely. And, and that's not what the Clean Air Act direct, directs EPA to do. You're supposed to set standards based upon the technologies that are available, and EPA is ignoring that. In, in this instance, the Biden, and this is this is not, a, I don't believe this is a decision being made at the EPA. This is a, a Biden administration, Biden White House decision to try to transform the economy and transform America's way of life. Well, um, and this, this might work in, in urban areas, um, but it's not going to work in rural America. Well, former EPA Director uh, Andrew Wheeler, thank you for standing up for America's choice and and uh, let's stay in touch because this is a very serious uh, situation. Uh, they're trying to change the lifestyle of our country and uh, make America less uh, independent from the rest of the world. I mean, I don't want to be dependent on China for my antibiotics and my car. And uh, thank you so much for coming aboard, and we'll talk again real soon. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. American. You're a classic example of the people who built this country. He's got plenty of ideas on how to bring change. Great American, a great New Yorker. This is the Cats Roundtable on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. With us today is Congresswoman John Kingens from Virginia. It must be Virginia is turning around. Uh, we had Governor Youngkin on on our show uh, on WABC a few days ago, and uh, uh, Virginia is making a a, a real turnaround. Uh, Congresswoman, tell us all the problems uh, in in our in Virginia in our country that you are newly elected and and want to make sure that things turn around. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for having me today, John. And and we are making progress, especially from Virginia. I proudly represent the second congressional district, and this was one of the the key races that Republicans won this year to take back the U.S. House of Representatives. So uh, it was a great victory, and it's wonderful to be in the majority in Washington D.C. in the House, so we can actually get some things done, uh, which we which we are making progress. You know, it's been Monday will be a hundred days uh, that we have had the new majority in place, and we are slowly chipping away at fulfilling our campaign promises, the commitment to America that, that we ran off of. We, we've, you know, we re- campaigned to lower energy costs and hold China accountable, reduce crime, and, uh, you know, just provide Americans with government that's transparable, trans- transparent and accountable. And so we are doing these things. We have passed things like the Parents' Bill of Rights, which was H.R. 5, which really gave parents, you know, a say in their kids' education, and, and it was a transparency bill. And, and we passed H.R. 1 last week, which was the Lower Energy Cost Act, and that's to stimulate increasing domestic energy production and reforming the permitting process and just uh, reversing some of the anti-energy policies that the Biden administration has put, put in place and boosting production of critical min- minerals in our country. So we are we are slowly doing these things that, that we campaigned off of. We're demonstrating what Republican leadership looks like in the U.S. House because, you know, we have an election in Virginia. We have an election every year, but we have an election 
a very important election coming up in 2024. So we need people to to see what what conservative leadership looks like, to know that that's the direction that we want uh, our country to be headed in. And, and we are we are getting these things done. So it's, it's a great honor just to be a part of that fight. Congresswoman, love, thank you so much for coming on this Sunday morning. Uh, we have about a minute left. Anything else you want to tell the American people? Yeah, no, I just, there's work to be done. I, uh, I, it's a fight. The fight is real, right? The fight is, is real for our country. It's real for Virginia and our Commonwealth. Uh, it's a privilege and an honor to, to be, to be up there. I'm a Navy veteran who flew helicopters for 10 years, married to a Navy pilot. You know, I have kids who, who serve. So it's so important to me, our issues of, of national security, we have to do better uh, for our military, for our country. We can do better. Uh, I'm a nurse practitioner as well. I, I uh, have had the privilege of of uh, participating in healthcare, so that's another just area that's a priority for me, legislatively, to make sure that we we're providing, you know, available accessible accessible healthcare, mental healthcare. So, so you know, I, I having a seat at that table means everything. That fight is real, and I just appreciate you and people who are who are taking an interest in the the good work that we are doing. So well, thank you so much. Thank you, Congresswoman Jennifer. Uh, Kiggins, thank you so much, and thank you for everything you've done for our country and continue to speak out for common sense in, in America, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. With us today is Mario Economo. Uh, he is a uh, banker in Zurich, uh, New York, Philadelphia, and a few other places, and he gives us our European report. Uh, Mario, so many things are happening uh, in, in the world and in Europe. Uh, where do you want to start this morning? Yes, good morning. Well, let's start by wishing each other a happy Easter. Today is Greek uh, Easter, and of course we celebrate that, and all the other people who celebrate Greek Easter with us, Greek Orthodox Easter, let's wish them a happy Easter as well. I think we can start today with uh, Turkey, and let's discuss two quick things about uh, Turkey before we move on to uh, the Ukraine and, of course, to President Macron and the statements he recently made. Uh, aboard his airplane on his return from China that have seemed to have startled a lot of people. And I'll try to help and walk you through why uh, America should not be startled by the statements he made. So in Turkey, uh, we know that the uh, Akuyu nuclear power plant is actually going to start enriching the uranium uh, later this month. Uh, This plant is actually 99% owned by Russia's Rosatom company, Uh, So Turkey doesn't essentially own it. It's owned by the Russians, and they will uh, produce energy at this nuclear power plant based in Turkey, which they will then sell to Turkey. It's interesting. We now have a NATO member that has a Russian nuclear power plant in its country, uh, and it's going to be buying energy from it. So once again, we need to question exactly what is going on with respect to NATO and what is going on with respect to Turkey inside of NATO. Uh, There is one other thing to discuss about Turkey. Apologies. Uh, If you will, uh, uh, the Anadolu, which is a helicopter carrier, has actually now been put into service. Uh, This will actually change uh, Turkey's reach from that of just simply a regional power to a geopolitical power, meaning that it's going to be able to have this ship sail to different parts of the world and to different seas to participate in both humanitarian and any other types of missions. Uh, This helicopter carrier in and of itself will actually stimulate the need for additional frigates to be uh, sold to Turkey or or made in Turkey, as well as additional submarines. 
So we can expect Turkey's Navy to actually get a boost up in the coming years with respect to the number of ships that it's going to actually construct in order to be able Mario, to support this very large ship. With the relationships that Turkey is having with uh, Russia and Putin uh, and the new alliances being formed, are, are you concerned that it's possible that, that Turkey being a NATO nation could flip? to the new, uh, uh, the new empire of uh, Russia, China, etc.? I think Turkey is going to play both sides. I think Turkey will do what it needs to do to continue to uh, try to maintain its role as uh, wanting to be the leader in the Muslim world. I think Turkey will actually start to expand its views beyond simply the Aegean and the eastern Mediterranean. Uh, this ship in and of itself doesn't allow that to happen, but everything else that's happening around the world will actually help and complement Turkey. For example, it's not too ridiculous to think that Turkey might actually participate in joint military exercises with the Chinese and the Russians in perhaps the Indian Ocean um, or in perhaps one of the Atlantic or Pacific uh, oceans. Uh, the idea being that Turkey would want to participate and be a part of something which would actually increase its global presence. Um, so that is something that uh, NATO needs to consider. Once again, I'm going to repeat, I have, I have never believed and I continue to not believe that NATO is as powerful as everyone thinks it is. I think at the end of the day, most countries within NATO may uh, vote in favor of doing whatever it is the U.S. suggests that they should do. But there will be countries, and France is one of them at this point, who are going to start questioning whether or not they want to participate in any type of NATO-related activities. Well, you know, the his history says that uh, we saved their uh, behind in World War One, saved their behind in World War Two. I hope there's no more world wars. That's all I can say. Uh, what else? We... Uh, uh, what else do you want to start on? Well, let's also discuss uh, Ukraine in a statement which was recently made by their foreign minister, Mr. Kuleba, who actually said that it's time now for the Black Sea to become a NATO sea in much the same way that the Baltic Sea is a NATO sea. Uh, those types of statements are careless, they're reckless, and they're very dangerous. The Kremlin, of course, quickly responded and said there is no chance that the uh, Black Sea will become a NATO sea. Uh, and the problem is we have to be careful as Americans and Europeans, for that matter, because if they decide to say and do something like that, who's to say that the Chinese who are already saying that the South China Sea belongs to them and everything in it is theirs, uh, aren't going to actually be encouraged by these types of statements. So I find the statement that he made to be very careless and very reckless. We also know now that the uh, counteroffensive that was supposed to happen in the spring by the Ukrainian forces against the Russians, and particularly in the southern part of the Donbass, uh, is most likely going to be delayed. The reason being given is uh, the document release, uh, which the Ukrainians and many Europeans, for that matter, feel has compromised intelligence, and, uh, and the Russians now have a better idea of exactly what's going on in the ground in the Ukraine. But given that is still a developing story— Mario, we're out of time, but I want to thank you for coming on, and I want to thank you for uh, uh, giving the facts to the American people and your opinions, and, and we'll catch up again real soon. Yes, thank you for your time. Enjoy your Sunday. Thank, thank you. you. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story with common sense thinking. It's the Cats Roundtable. What is today's Roger Stone? One of President Trump's good friends. 
Uh, and we'd like to get an update. What the heck is going on? And uh, there's so many moving parts with, uh, with with the attorney generals, New York State, New York City. Uh, Roger Stone, can you give America an update? What the heck is going on? Because nobody really understands it. John, I think really the, the Democrats and their allies in the big media have recognized that they, they can't defeat Donald Trump at the ballot box. Uh, his popularity with the American voters is surging. I've never seen a 30-point gain among Republicans and now leading Joe Biden by five or six. Uh, and therefore, since they can't beat him in an election, they seek to take him down through what we call lawfare. That is the filing of, of false or frivolous or politically motivated legal actions at the state or federal level to try to disqualify him, damage him, first of all, uh, with the American people, which isn't working, actually backfiring, uh, or to figure out a way to disqualify him. Uh, the only charge that would disqualify him would be uh, a charge essentially of sedition against the government. I don't think they can bring that charge. Uh, but in the 44 years I've been in politics, I've never seen this kind of, of natural revulsion. Uh, I saw the president this past week. In fact, I saw him twice. Uh, if you listen to the media, he's angry, he's hysterical, he's depressed. No, he, he's optimistic, he's upbeat. It, it seems to be rolling down his back. He's very, very resolute. Uh, he's very determined to return to the White House and save the country. And there's so many, um, I mean, if you took a poll today, I know so many people don't like Donald Trump, but you know what I tell friends of mine? Look, uh, Donald Trump was very well respected in the international community. I don't think we'd have wars right now in the Ukraine or, or, or possible uh, in Taiwan if, if Donald Trump was still president. And everybody agrees. And but they still hate him. Uh, and then on the other side, uh, everything uh, President Biden has been doing has been hurting the American people, hurting the American economy. I mean, how do we sort this out? Uh, I get the same reaction when people tell me, well, I don't like Donald Trump's, uh, you know, I don't like his social media postings. They're crude. I say, how did you like the most robust economy in our history? How did you like the lowest gasoline prices? we've ever had? Uh, how did you like uh, minimal inflation? How did you like bringing our troops home from around the world and not starting any new wars? The only president in modern times not to launch a war abroad. Uh, so there is a disconnect there. And I frankly, I think things, as they get worse under Biden, uh, and you know more about this than I do, gasoline prices are only going to go higher Food shortages are only, only going to become wider. Uh, inflation is only going to get worse. And we are tiptoeing right up to the edge of World War III. These, these new leaked documents show that very much like Vietnam, they've been lying to the American people. The Russians are kicking the daylights out of the Ukrainians. And we now know that if we give long-range missiles to the Russians, as they keep up, pardon me, to the Ukrainians, that they will launch a strike into Russia. That's the beginning of World War III. None of this would have happened if Donald Trump were president. Uh, Donald Trump warned 
Putin. He said this. If you if you attack Ukraine, I will attack Moscow. And as Trump says, he didn't know whether I was serious or not, but he thought there was a 10 percent chance I might be. And therefore, he didn't even try it. I'll tell you, it's really, really um, concerning. It looks like Russia, China are forming a new world alliance. And uh, uh, even France doesn't know what side they're on right now. And 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 I understand uh, with Turkey uh, that uh, they are making deals with uh, with Russia. I mean, there's there's not doubt, but there's concern if which alliance they're going to go with. Uh, we have done the un- unthinkable. I mean, President Richard Nixon very skillfully played the Russians and the Chinese off against each other. They have a huge common border. They don't trust each other. Russia has a terrible problem with Islamic terrorism, but we have driven them into an alliance with the Iranians. This is is increasingly dangerous because uh, two of those countries, perhaps soon three of those countries, will have a nuclear capability. Uh, The American dollar has always been the international standard. We're very clearly moving away from that under Joe Biden. Uh, Donald Trump's unpredictability was was his strong suit in international affairs. The Chinese didn't attack Taiwan because they didn't know what Donald Trump would do. The the Russians did not invade Ukraine because they didn't know what Donald Trump would do. Trump cut off the Russian pipeline. Joe Biden opened it back up. Then he now it appears that he blew it up as an act of provocation. Uh, the, the international world stage is a very dangerous place. And the leadership of Donald Trump looks a lot better now. And I think people will see that by 2024. Now, you're very close to a President Trump. And it, it, it seems like if he gets away uh, from maybe being more presidential by not, uh, um, you know, talking about— he should talk about how good he he can do versus how bad his, uh, his the other people are, are, are that are running are doing. What do you think? Politics is always about the future. It's never about the past. Uh, you know Donald Trump as long as I have, probably. Uh, and you know he's his own man. He marches to his own drummer. Uh, he's not handled. He's not managed. He's not scripted. There are times when he says things that I wish he hadn't said. But he got elected being the Donald Trump that he is, uh, and you can see the results for the country. So uh, in all honesty, he is not going to change, but uh, I still think he is the most viable option to save the country, restore the economy, uh, and for world peace above all. Uh, I absolutely guarantee, as a a negotiator, uh, as a guy— who gave the Ukrainians offensive missiles, who cut off the Russian pipeline, who got a historic peace deal in the Middle East that nobody thought was possible, who brought the North Koreans to the table and got them to temporarily stop their nuclear weapons development program. This guy is a deal maker. Uh, And I think world peace would be much more secure if he were in the White House. And we did not have a war under uh, President Trump's four years. Uh, look, I, I think that he has now learned a great deal in his first term. He made some mistakes. I mean, his record is extraordinary, considering some of the snakes that he appointed. Uh, he came to Washington thinking it was Republicans versus Democrats 
all the Republicans are with me, all the Democrats are against me. He was wrong about that. It's about the insiders who run the two-party duopoly uh, and an outsider who they never saw coming, who actually put America first. So uh, I think that he'd be a much different and I think even more successful president in a second term. Well, thank you so much, Roger Stone. Thank you for your opinions. And uh, you you make a lot of sense. And uh, we'll catch up with you again real soon. Oh, John, I know the Greek Orthodox uh, Easter is upon us. So I want to give the very best wishes to you and your family. Thank you so much. And uh, God bless you. Have a great weekend. God bless you. Here's the man who is New York, exploring the truth, telling both sides with common sense thinking. Here's John Katsimatidis on Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is the Cats Roundtable. With us today is our in-house genius. We have Dr. Peter Mihalos on how do we live longer? And we all want to live longer. Dr. Peter Mihalos, uh, what's on the, uh, uh, on the top? What topic are we on today? Well, today we're going to talk about a fascinating topic, which is uh, COVID and its associations with clotting, as well as how stress initiates clotting. And uh, according to the Cleveland Clinic, uh, COVID has really caused a a lot of uh, havoc, and 18.8 million adults in the United States have a syndrome that's called long-haul COVID, and uh, these symptoms, when they last over 28 days, they cause long-haul COVID, and they estimate that 25 to 40% of these people are not able to carry out their normal daily activities, and we have record number of people who are applying actually for disability because of this and it's reducing quality of life, and people are showing up with unexplained shortness of breath, fatigue, sleep disorders, migraines, gut motility disturbance, and unusual sudden rapid uh, heart rate. But one of the most disturbing things that's happening with uh, COVID people are these thromboembolic complications, which means clots. And uh, one of these clots that can form in people's legs, in people's brains, for example, an Oxford study found that 39 in a million people who got COVID ended up with a vein thrombosis, and that can be in the brain and other parts of the body. And when one of those slips away in the legs, it goes up into the lung, and that's called a thromboembolism that goes to the lung, a pulmonary embolism. And uh, that's 17% more common in people who've had COVID. And a uh, study in uh, Dublin, Ireland from the Royal College of Physicians finally uh, did an analysis and they found that there is a protein called the von Willebrand clotting factor protein and they found it to be much higher in people who had COVID versus the blood they tested from people who never had COVID. So what's interesting about this is, you know, most viruses like a cold that come and goes, but there are viruses that linger and have side effects. For example, we all heard about the Epstein-Barr virus and how it's linked to lymphoma and chronic fatigue. We've heard about hepatitis C, how it lingers in the body, causes cirrhosis of the liver and can lead to liver cancer. We've heard about the uh, HIV virus and how it leads to AIDS and a long-term immune problem. So uh, the other issue is that the spike protein is probably responsible in the attack against the spike protein with people who get COVID. 
also vaccinated people, according to this uh, information uh, produced at Oxford, four in one million people who get COVID shots also get clots. But again, those who get COVID, uh, 39 out of a million, it's much higher, but people who are getting vaccinated, and there are risks to all vaccines, but that's the statistics, it's four in a million. The other finding that uh, in the Cleveland Clinic newsletter recently described was that vaccinated and unvaccinated people are just as likely to catch COVID-19, but they don't get as sick, the people who've been vaccinated. And then the other part of this clotting issue, it goes uh, with another topic of stress. And they found that when the blood pressure increases, you get narrower vessels, stiffer blood vessels, poorer blood flow, and you get more clots. And what happens is we're designed genetically to have something called the fight or flight mechanism. When our adrenaline pours out, when we're cornered like a rat, when we're scared and we're constantly stressed, our adrenal glands put out a chemical called adrenaline and other clotting factors. Why? Because we're anticipated being attacked, whether it's a saber-toothed tiger or some ancient animal that was chasing us or we're being threatened with a gun. We put out all these chemicals for increased clotting so that we anticipate that we might be bleeding. And that's one of the reasons why uh, high stress levels also increase and turn on that cascade of clotting. So we're learning more about the clotting uh, cascade. And that's why many people who get COVID or those who are hospitalized, they finally learn that it is a clotting disease and that you need to protect them with uh, blood thinners. And Dr. Tassiopoulos at Stony Brook was one of the first people who published that article in JAMA. And they were able to save a lot of people by giving anti-inflammatories like dexamethasone and blood thinners to help save many lives. So we're learning a lot more and now that we're the, the new news is that there is a new version of COVID called Arcturus, which is actually increasing dramatically in India. Doesn't seem to be as deadly, but you know it's not over yet. But as we learn more and we learn more how to protect people and try to help people, and we need to learn more about this clotting cascade and understand it better for other future viruses and pandemics. Wow, and and uh, uh, there's there's so much going on. Uh... Uh, Dr. Michalos, I mean, uh, where, where does it stop? Well, I think the more advances that we get, uh, the more we're learning, the more we're understanding. And as the ancient Greeks said, the more we learn, the more we know, the more we realize how much we don't know. And I remember the uh, pharmacology textbook used to be one inch thick uh, 30 years ago, and now the pharmacology textbooks are five inches thick. So we're learning more and we're learning uh, more about uh, the human condition. And soon, I think that aging will be labeled a disease. And once that happens and starts slowing down the aging process, we're going to see a lot less death uh, from cancers and viruses. And we're going to make the population healthier. And as a society, I think we're going to save a lot of money once we start addressing uh, aging as a disease instead of waiting for things to happen. Understood. Uh, what else would you like to, it's Sunday morning, I'm drinking my black cup of coffee right now because I don't put any, uh, I, I don't put any of those uh, sweeteners in it, I don't put any milk in it. Uh, I mean, there was another story where additional sweeteners uh, cause additional problems uh, in last week's newspapers, and maybe you should do some research on it. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. One of the things that happens is when you take an artificial sweetener and you put it in your mouth and your tongue senses the sweetness, it tells 
the brain and the body to start shooting out insulin in anticipation of a sugar load. And then the other problem is some of our good bacteria need certain nutrients and these artificial sweeteners, they're basically blanks because they don't supply any nutritional value and it confuses our gut bacteria. So there is a disruption in the gut microbiome and we don't really fully understand long-term what effects it has, but it contributes to what's called the metabolic syndrome. So some people think that they're going to get thinner by taking artificial uh, sweeteners, but I think that it disrupts the entire balance of the gut microbiome. And we'll be talking more about that on WABC and how our gut is basically our second brain. I agree with you 100%. There's been some research that those artificial sweeteners uh, create an artificial uh, uh, brain uh, communication. And uh, yeah. I, I think it's a, it's a great thing to talk to our to talk to our listeners about in the future because they think they're doing themselves good by taking those artificial sweeteners. Yeah, absolutely. And some of the, the chemicals that are found in sodas too and what they do to the teeth and dental hygiene. And we're also learning that dental hygiene, for example, people who had their teeth cleaned regularly like four times a year, their C-reactive proteins, which is an inflammatory marker in the blood test, went down. So all these different things, uh, they affect it. And these different things affect the microbiome of the mouth, of the gut. And we're learning a lot more and we're going to keep reporting and updating our audience on WABC. Well, our audience is going to live so long that, you know, that, that, uh, we're all going to be happy. Thank you so much, Dr. Peter Michalov. Thanks for always getting the truth out on the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Steve Cates, otherwise known as Dr. Sky, and he's with us every week. And we look up in the sky and we say, well, what the heck is going on? Well, well, we have Dr. Sky to tell us, and he, he engages our mind in so many ways. Uh, Steve Cates, uh, tell us what's going on this week. Well, good morning, John, and happy Orthodox Easter to everyone listening this morning on this beautiful Sunday. Well, we want to start off with the mystery of the week first. How about this? Where did organic molecules come from on an asteroid? Well, here, this is an amazing story. Organic molecules, John, found in return mission samples from an asteroid known as Ryugu, Japanese name. It's an Apollo asteroid. The translation of Ryugu means the Japanese dragon god's palace. But what did they find? This is material that was brought back to the Earth. Something called uracil, one of the building blocks of RNA, as well as niacin B3. Sounds like something you would take for your health. And how about this? All this on this diamond-shaped asteroid, 3,000 feet in diameter. And this was collected by a Japanese spacecraft called Hayabusa 2 back in July of 2019. Now, if that doesn't knock it out now, of the park, let's, let's I don't Let's just think... tell all the people, because not everybody knows. Uh, in other words, the Japanese had a... Had a, uh, a, a, a uh, what do you call it? Uh, space rocket, right? A spacecraft well, a space land on this a land on this asteroid mm -hmm. and yes. uh, and transmit back the problem or the 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 uh, the information or bring it back. Well, it brought it back. It actually scooped up material from the surface of the asteroid, brought it back, which is even more incredible. And the scientists examining, like they did when they brought back moon rockets, I mean, we're moon rocks from the moon, you know, launches. We find out that they're finding these organic compounds in this particular asteroid. So what's amazing about this 
it goes to talk about this as something that's very interesting. A concept, John, that's called panspermia, we've talked about it, is that maybe from comets and asteroids, life was seeded throughout not only maybe this solar system, but throughout all of space. And it's also another spacecraft that's actually coming back, Hayabusa 2. I should say, excuse me, we should talk about another spacecraft called OSIRIS-REx, which actually is bringing back material from an asteroid called Bennu later this year. But imagine that. Vitamins like B, niacin, B3, as far as this building block material of RNA, these are some great times to be talking about science. It's amazing. It is amazing. And uh, uh, I was talking to our mutual friend, Frank Morano, the other day. Yes. And he recorded uh, this, uh, uh, this uh, writer uh, that wrote about uh, Apollo 1 through 11 yes. and, and got a lot of information on things that the Apollo astronauts have seen and weren't allowed to disclose. Have you heard about that? I have, John. There's many theories about that. I mean, some claim from the other side of the equation that there was actually some other spacecraft seen on the surface of the moon and some other objects that were maybe seen, as we call them today, unidentified aerial phenomenon. So the point of the matter is, when we talk about asteroids that are seething life or seeding life out through the universe by comets or asteroids, this is just amazing. But closer to home, this is another subject that's amazing. There's now thought to be a large area of mountains and other ancient structures surrounding the Earth's core. Geologists are talking about an extinct ancient ocean bed some 1,800 miles below the surface of the Earth, showing that the Earth's interior is more complicated than one thought. So we're learning so much as we expand people's minds on this particular show on the Cats Roundtable on Sundays. But we've just begun to scratch the surface on all these subjects. So the bottom line to me, John, is life exists in many places in the universe, whether the Apollo astronauts saw something extraterrestrial or other encounters, isn't it just amazing to be able to think now in this age of 2023 that we're just beginning to scratch the surface on what may be a very populated universe uh, as we're talking today? I think there's a lot more out there than we know. And uh, uh, Steve Cates, I hope, I hope we live long enough to find out something more than we know today. I do, John, and to wrap it up, there's so many things that people can see this particular weekend. We find out that they'll be on the other side of the Earth on April 20th, what's called the Total Hybrid Solar Eclipse. We can talk a little bit more about that next week. You'd have to be over there in that path to see it. Very unusual. But for the rest of us watching the skies, a meteor shower called the Lyrids is going to open up, be peaking on the morning of the 23rd, but still high in the northeast by a bright star Vega. You may get to see a few of these things, and this is what we're talking about. Debris from comets, which may have seeded life in the universe, you get to see them as shooting stars. More information always, John, as you know, at wabcradio.com for the Dr. Sky Experience. And again, a happy Orthodox Easter to all those out there that celebrate it. Well, thank you so much. Uh, and uh, I celebrate all, all religious holidays. You know why? When it comes time to go to heaven, I, <laughs> I, I, I want to make sure I cover all bases. I'm with you, John. Thank you, and have a good Sunday. Steve Cates, thank you, and keep expanding our minds. It's a lot of fun. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Thank you.